This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 43. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, a subpoenaed non-party witness failed to appear for your deposition, maybe once, maybe multiple times. So do you seek an order compelling their appearance and or a motion holding the non-party witness in contempt? Or do you sit tight, perhaps sensing a tactical advantage, and later move to exclude the witness from appearing and testifying at trial because of their failure to participate in the discovery process? The clear answer is that you should immediately seek an order compelling the witness to appear and or to hold the non-party witness in contempt, whichever remedy your governing rules require. And here's why. Absent evidence that your adversary had a role in the non-party witness's failure to appear, courts are unlikely to exclude those witnesses from trial simply because they didn't honor the deposition subpoena if you took no action to force the witness's reappearance at a rescheduled deposition. So if properly subpoenaed non-party witnesses don't show up, you've got to go after them. The rules just don't allow a court to hold a party responsible for the actions of a non-party in this situation. And since the rules do give us tools, if we're the examining lawyers, to make those witnesses show up, meaning subpoenas, orders from a court compelling compliance, and orders holding the non-party witness in contempt, courts have said, we pass on those tools at our own peril. And that's true even if our adversary refuses to help us gain compliance from the non-party witness in appearing for deposition. It's not their problem, it's yours and mine. Let's take a quick run through some pertinent cases. And as you know from listening to the podcast, we provide you the case sites uh, for the cases upon which each episode is based, and they appear in the show notes uh, wherever you get your podcast. So first case to make the point is the Torregano case. That was a personal injury case filed by tenants who were injured when the ceiling in their apartment collapsed or fell. Verdict for the plaintiff tenants. But on the way to the verdict, the trial judge excluded testimony from two key defense witnesses on the grounds that those two witnesses failed to appear and answer questions at depositions noticed by the plaintiff's lawyer. Both witnesses were non-parties. The exclusion was particularly damaging to the landlord because he lived out of state and had absolutely no firsthand knowledge of any of the events. One of the excluded witnesses managed the property and had attempted to repair the ceiling. The other had first-hand conversations with the tenants about the actual ceiling collapse. So by excluding the two non-party witnesses for the landlord, the trial court effectively prevented the property owner or the landlord from presenting a defense at all. Now, one of the two excluded witnesses did show up twice for his deposition, but refused to answer any questions without an attorney present. Courts have said basically that's the same as not appearing at all. Uh, the second witness was properly noticed, but failed to show up. So the trial judge excluded both of them. On appeal, the appellate judges overturned the verdict and sent it back for a new trial. The judges said the exclusion was error because rather than imposing penalties on the two non-party witnesses, the trial judge penalized the defendant. That, the appeals court said, justified a new trial. You can't hold the party responsible for the actions of a non-party not under their control. Same result in the Thompson case, a 2008 decision out of the Western District of Pennsylvania. In that case, it was the defendant who sought to exclude a non-party witness from testifying at trial because he had failed to appear twice for a noticed deposition. Apart from the witness who failed to appear, the defense lawyer said in that case that the plaintiff was partially to blame because he didn't help the defendant get the planned deponent to show up. 
So the defense argued, it would be unfair if the plaintiff can use this witness without having lifted a finger to help us force the witness's appearance at deposition. And there was nothing in the opinion that suggested that the plaintiff's counsel did help in any way. In fact, plaintiff's counsel didn't even show up for either of the scheduled depositions, which while the opinion doesn't say one way or the other, one might think is an indication that plaintiff's counsel knew in advance that the witness was not going to come. Even so, there was no indication in the opinion of any effort by the plaintiff's counsel to actively thwart the deposition from going forward, just passive non-cooperation. Trial judge didn't seem to care that the plaintiff wasn't lifting a finger to aid the deposition effort and cited Federal Rule 30, which provides for the deposition of witnesses through oral deposition. And the judge says that rule contemplates that the party seeking the deposition has the burden of producing the deponent and has a range of tools at their disposal to make that happen. In this particular case, defendant's counsel apparently did not move for an order of contempt or other relief against the witness. And so the court in effect said, you didn't use the tools available to you. And I'm not going to give weight to the fact that your adversary didn't help you get the witness to show up. Now that said, I will point out that the court appeared to soften the blow of refusing to exclude the witness entirely by saying that if the witness did show up for trial, the court would allow the defense to recess and take the deposition of the witness before the witness would be allowed to testify in front of the jury. In a third case, an auto accident case out of California, which I'll call the Fouts case, uh, same basic facts, two witnesses, both helpful to the defense, but neither of whom showed up for their depositions that were scheduled by the plaintiff. Slightly different outcome, though. The lesson of this case is that if a judge is about to exclude helpful witnesses because they didn't show up for deposition, you've got to make sure that you proffer their expected testimony so that you have a record on appeal of the importance of the witnesses to get that exclusion overturned. So in Fouts, the state court trial judge granted the plaintiff's motion in limine to exclude the trial testimony of the two non-party witnesses. Those two witnesses were apparently passengers in the defendant's car and could have given some very helpful testimony, evidently, to the defense. Trial judge says, well, it's going to be unfairly prejudicial to the plaintiff if they show up and testify for the defense after evading discovery. Defendant says, look, judge, they're not under my control, and further, the plaintiff set these depositions of my two passengers at the very last minute. So when they failed to appear, the plaintiff, by their own choosing, had no time left to seek an order compelling their appearance. So the defendant argued, it's really all on the plaintiff. On appeal in that case, uh, the appellate judges didn't squarely address the issue and instead said they could not reverse because the defendant did not proffer testimony of the two witnesses that were being excluded so that the trial judge and the appellate court didn't really have a record upon which to base the extent to which uh, the defendant would be prejudiced from exclusion. So if you're on the receiving end of a motion to exclude witnesses, be doubly sure that you timely ask the court for the opportunity to proffer the testimony of those uh, folks that are going to be excluded. All right, uh, one more case just from the opposite perspective and to make the point that if a witness is under your control, you had better make sure they show up for deposition because the courts are far more likely to exclude testimony from witnesses that you can control than from witnesses uh, you cannot. In this last case, the card technology decision from a Minnesota federal court, the court excluded testimony from a key executive uh, employed by one of the parties. And according to the opinion, the company's executive just refused to show up for deposition. 
even after the court ordered the company's executive to appear. He still refused. And even after the company told the executive that he would be fired if he didn't show up, he still wouldn't go for his deposition. And as promised, the employer did fire him. Federal judge says in effect, look, I'm sorry, but if a deponent under your control at the time the deposition is set fails to appear, you're going to take the punishment, even if you engage in good faith efforts to compel the employee to show up. And the judge cited authority for that proposition that sanctions can be imposed for the failure of a party's officer, someone under the corporation's control, to obey a discovery order, even if the organization appears to have done all it could to get its executive to appear. But here's how that judge left it. The court said, if the former executive does show up to testify at trial, he can testify generally, but he would not be permitted to testify about certain specified topics that the opposing party needed to inquire about in deposition, but could not. So there wasn't a total bar to testimony. In the end, judges want trials to have value and to be based on evidence that should be presented. But the judge there said, I'm not going to let you bring this witness in and sandbag the opposition on these critical topics for which the opposition had tried and failed to prepare through no fault of their own. All right, what's the takeaway here? Uh, number one, of course, if a witness is under a party's control, that party is likely going to take the hit for the witness's failure to appear at a properly noticed deposition. Point number two, but if the deponent is a non-party witness, the general rule is that it's the sole responsibility of the examining party to ensure that the deponent appears for examination. That means that the examining party, you, me, has to make sure that the deposition is properly noticed, that the non-party witness is properly subpoenaed and gets that check if it's required by rule, and that if the witness fails to appear, that the examining lawyer must seek an order compelling the witness's appearance and or holding the witness in contempt. Failing those efforts, there's just no bar, a no general bar to the would-be deponent's appearance as a witness at trial. It's the legal equivalent of you snooze, you lose. I can imagine there are some lawyers that may think it's an exceedingly clever strategy to let the deposition go and then try to bar the witness at trial, but that's unlikely to happen if the witness was not under the control of your opponent and if your opponent had no role in the non-party witness's non-appearance. Okay, so a couple of practice pointers. If you properly noticed the deposition of a non-party witness who failed to appear, again, act swiftly to seek an order compelling their appearance or holding them in contempt. The specific approach you'll take will depend on the rules in your jurisdiction. On the issue of contempt in federal court, it's Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 45G titled Contempt. And that subsection provides that the court for the district where compliance is required and also after a motion is transferred, the issuing court may hold in contempt a person who, having been served, fails without adequate excuse to obey the subpoena or an order relating to it. Practice pointer number two. If you've got to file a motion relating to the non-appearance of a non-party witness, you may want to style your motion something along the lines of motion for order compelling non-party's compliance with deposition subpoena and or holding non-party in contempt. If I'm in federal court, that's how I generally title it. I cite both Rule 45G, that's the contempt provision, along with Rule 37, which deals with the failure of a party or a person 
to cooperate in discovery. That way, by giving the judge two different paths, I allow the judge to choose which path to pursue. Some judges may not want to hold a non-party in contempt without giving them a chance to comply with an order compelling their appearance. So I give them the option in the way that I present my request for relief. Practice tip number three. Most state courts' rules of procedure follow the same general scheme as the federal courts, so check your own local rules pertaining to the service of deposition subpoenas and how to enforce them as it relates to non-party witnesses. Pointer number four. Remember that most rules dealing with an effort to compel discovery require you to confer with the target of your effort before filing a motion. Rule 37 in the federal courts certainly does, and most state court rules relating to orders compelling discovery also require an effort to confer before presenting it to the court. So if you're going to seek an order compelling the non-party witness to appear, and frankly, whether you take that approach or seek contempt, you're going to want to reach out to the non-party witness and try to get them to appear voluntarily for your deposition. It's going to help you either way with your judge if you can certify good faith efforts to have resolved it without court intervention. All right, pointer number five. If you get close to trial and you weren't able to depose that witness, you can still consider filing a motion in limine to bar the non-party witness from testifying. You may not have many options available to you at that point, but there is risk in doing that, that you might be buying a retrial if the judge rules in your favor and the other side appeals. Because of the body of law that says it's generally error for a judge to wholly exclude witnesses from testifying, non-party witnesses, because they didn't appear for a deposition. So you could be baking in reversible error if you're seeking the total exclusion of the witness. Pointer number six, a lesser alternative is to ask the court to bar the witness from testifying unless you have an opportunity at some point before or during the trial to depose them. Now that's not a great alternative either because the last thing you want is to be conducting discovery depositions in the middle of trial. You're not likely to have a transcript to impeach the witness if they're going to be on the stand shortly. And you're certainly not going to have had time to synthesize their testimony and to fold it effectively into your trial strategy. Pointer number seven. You could also ask the trial judge to bar the non-party witness from testifying about certain matters as opposed to total exclusion if you can show that you used best efforts to get the witness to testify and that allowing the witness to testify about those specified matters would severely prejudice you because of the inability to conduct discovery on it. Uh, finally, pointer number eight. Remember that it's rarely a good idea to let your paralegal or scheduler set depositions near the end of the discovery period. And you should explain to them, if you have a scheduler or paralegal who does your scheduling for you, how setting things at the very end of the discovery period can severely prejudice the client and the case and can affect the outcome. If you have depositions, critical depositions set at the very end of the discovery period, your adversary is going to know that you're not going to be able to conduct any follow-up discovery on whatever you learn, that if there's any flaw in your subpoena, even something as minor as not including a check to the non-party witness, or if it wasn't issued from the proper court, that the witness doesn't have to appear. And your adversary will know that if the witness chooses not to appear, that you might just be out of luck anyway because you're past the deadline for filing discovery-related motions. So last-minute or late-in-the-game depositions can set us all up for some of these very bad outcomes. All right, that's it for today. Thank you again for listening. And as always, be sure to check out the book on which this podcast is based. 
10,000 Depositions Later, the premier litigation guide for superior deposition practice, now in its third edition and available everywhere you get your books.